conversation and fellowship. Thank you, Lord, that, um, well, just thank you for, for you, really, Lord. Thank you that we know you. Thank you that we have eternal life. Thank you that, though we can't understand it, we know it will be glorious, is glorious. And thank you, Father, that you are bothering with us today to tell us great and mighty things that we did not know, telling us about yourself so that we can be stronger and more established and so that we can go on through this world to represent you, which is what we find we want to do. So we thank you, Lord, for it all. We know that um, it's only by your grace and your, your enabling that we can do any of it. And, but we trust, Lord God, that that's what you want to do, to enable and empower us to represent you in this world. So we thank you for what you've told us so far and what you will tell us now. And we ask, Lord, again, that you be honoured by our giving of our time and our minds to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so, um, who are the each ones then that have received the manifestation of the Spirit or that through whom the Spirit works? They are those who have turned their back on idols and decided to live for Jesus Christ. You didn't always know that that was your decision. When I came to the Lord in 1993, um, I prayed what was presented to me as the sinner's prayer. I didn't really have much idea of the depth of my sin. I knew that I had done things wrong and said things wrong, of course. I knew that I was a sinner and I believed the gospel that I needed Jesus, but I didn't really have any clue as to the depth of my sin or the depth of the pride and the selfishness in me and it was only over, well, I think God's still showing me <laughs> the depth of it. And um, so I'm not saying that we understand it all when we come to the Lord. I don't think we do. But there is a moment when we must turn from something to God. And Paul writes, all of the New Testament writers write on that basis that you have, as a believer in the Lord Jesus, you have turned from your old life to God in whatever way and whichever form that takes. And as I said before the break, you know, sometimes we fall and many times we fail, but it is this decision in us that we will turn and go towards God. And, um, and so Paul's writing to those people, the each ones who receive the manifestation of the Spirit, they are people who live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, there is no other type of Christian I'm sorry, I wish it were not true, <laughs> but it is. A Christian lives under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That means Jesus Christ is boss. My grandchildren sing a great song, Jesus is the boss, Jesus is the boss of me, and they run around the house singing it. And I like to sing it too, actually, because it's, it's so clear. And, and that's who these Christians are. We want to live under the Lordship of Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. We want to be transformed into his glory. We want to think like him and feel like him and be like him and do like him. And we want that because we believe, we have come to know that he is fantastic and glorious and wonderful and that his love is amazing. And the more we go on and the more we want to be like him, the more we are like him. And, and that whole process draws us closer and closer to him. And we find growing within ourselves a huge desire for God. A desire for God. Of course, of course, we're battling the flesh. We still live in a human body and we live in a fallen world and we have an enemy at work. So I'm not saying it's easy and that it's crystal pure, clear waters that we sail in over the horizon onto eternity. It's not like that. But there is inside of us this desire for God to be like him and to live for him. And because God is a miracle-working, overwhelmingly wonderful God, he always fulfills that desire. So Christians may start off being people who want to be like Jesus. But let me tell you, over time, they become like Jesus because God works in them to fulfill that desire. That makes it very simple for us to look at ourselves. I'm not talking about other people. 
I don't want you looking at me and telling me where I, you know, how far short I've fallen from where I should be. But look at yourself and honestly say to yourself, am I following Jesus closer today than I was 10 years ago? This is not for a shame thing. This is not that God doesn't know all the difficulties in your life. This is not because he's putting an impossible task in front of you. It's because God lives in you. How could God, who created the universe, who spoke things into existence, how could that God live in you and you be the same? That just doesn't make any sense. It has to be that his presence changes you. Even if it changes you really slowly, even if your life is really difficult, even if things keep coming at you and you can't seem to concentrate and you, haven't got, you can't read easily and you're dyslexic and this and that and all the other things, God is God and he will make himself known to those who want to know him. So Paul will say in... Um, 2 Corinthians, I think it is, 2 Corinthians 13, test yourselves. Test yourselves and see if you're in the faith. Not because he's, he's, he's like a big tutor with a stick and he wants to beat them. You better test yourself and see if you're in the faith. It's because God, through Paul, loves them enough to say, don't shortchange yourself. Don't be deceived. Don't think you are a believer when really you're not. Don't, don't starve yourself of the power to be all that you want to be and all that God will make you. Do not be deceived. Test yourselves. Are you different now than you were 10 years ago? Do you want God more now than you did 10 years ago? Is it all about you still just the same as it was 10 years ago? Ask yourself those questions because God always fulfills the desire for him in every believer. It is impossible for you to want more of God and for him not to give you more of him. That's impossible. The Spirit of God always manifests himself through believers in and through believers. Do you want more of God? Don't answer. Ask yourself that question. Do you want more of God? Um, we'll go back, just I'll briefly go back, you don't need to turn back there, to Romans chapter 1, and we'll go back to where we started. Um, oh, Mike! Honestly, it better be succinct and to the point. I I've been reading the book for 40 years. Oh, gosh, no. I said that to my son the other day, and his little boy said, have you finished it yet, Dad? Yeah, yeah. But the point I'm making is that Thank you, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> Go to Romans chapter 1, verse 11. Um, Paul says, I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. So Paul says he wants to share the result of grace in him and he wants to strengthen them and be strengthened himself. What does it mean to be strengthened? How would him sharing his gifts and them sharing theirs strengthen him? And how would he strengthen them? What does it mean? Encouragement, yeah, it's encouraging. But how does it strengthen? Yeah, yeah. So how does that strengthen you? So yes, it strengthens. So what part of you does it strengthen? Iola, go ahead. Yeah, it reinforces what part of you? It reinforces your faith. It reinforces your faith. 
It builds your faith. And that's what he's saying here, isn't it? That he wants to share his gift with them so that he can reinforce, strengthen their faith. If you have stronger faith, what are you more able to do? <laughs> Expect great things, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's, yeah. If your faith is strengthened when you're with people and their faith is strengthened by being with you, what's going to happen? It, God, yeah, God is glorified. We'll just take that one as gone now. That's first session. We might come back to it, but we'll, he's going to be glorified. Yeah, no. But what that's going to enable us to do is when life storms hit us and hit us hard, we will be better able to stand and to hold on to the anchor. If you strengthen my faith, if you impart to me some, something of God and that builds me up and establishes me and strengthens me, that means my holding on to the anchor is better. I'm more able to do it when things hit me. Absolutely, it's essential. It's essential for everything. So if the purpose, or one of the purposes of the manifestation of the Spirit is to strengthen believers, what can you know, and he works through everyone, each believer has this manifestation of the Spirit, what can you know for absolute certainty in this room and in every fellowship that you belong to? Hmm? Yeah, together we've got more strength, that's true. But just, I just think about it, think about it. God manifests himself by his spirit through every believer for the common good. And it's to establish and strengthen so that we can, we can individually and collectively hold on to the anchor who is Jesus. So that when we're tossed about by what, the life storms which come all the time, we don't waver. We are not tossed about by every wind of doctrine. We are standing firm on the rock who is Christ and we are standing, you know, sure of who we are. So what can you know? Just think about it. We're in a room of believers. You're all believers. God is here. Well, who else is here? Oh, you're not going to get it, are you? It's on my notes. You're not getting the riot. So the reason, that what you can know for sure is that in every fellowship you ever go to, in every group of Christians you ever sit in, there will be people there who need the establishing, strengthening work of the Spirit. They need to hear something about God because their life is either just about to get into a storm or currently in a storm or they've just come through a storm or something is going on and God has put you together to strengthen one another. And he will do that through you. So I don't know how often you guys meet, probably you know, quite often. So why are you meeting often? Because you have life issues that you need helping with. I'm not trying to individual, pull out anyone individually. I'm saying this whole room, we are full of people who have to face hard times. I, could, I know of people right now who are going to face, who are facing hard, hard, hard times. And then they haven't come here. God hasn't brought them here so that you can make them a piece of cake and give them a cup of coffee. He has brought them here so that you, he, through you, can impart some spiritual gift to them. Sorry, Michelle. <laughs> so that we can strengthen Michelle for the storm that is raging about her. So that she can hold on to the Lord Jesus Christ and know that she knows that she knows that she knows that God is at work. He's at work towards her and in her and through her and that she will not go through this on her own. That's what it's about. So look around the room. Look around the room. There, everybody in here needs your gift. Everybody in here needs to be built up and established. None of us has perfect faith. None of us has absolute strength. None of us. We all get tossed about. We all get hit broadside like the hurricane that's just come into the um, east coast of the States. We all get rocked. That's why we need each other. And that's what God has us here, here for today. To show us that it is the manifestation of his spirit through each one of us. And we need each other. We need each other to enable us to stand firm. So, if this is true, if this is all true, and everybody's nodding, so I'm just hoping that collectively we obviously know the truth. So, 
If this is all true, there are people here today that you will minister to, that God will minister to through you. And does it really matter that you can name the way he does it? Honestly, does it really matter that you can say, I'm gifted here in this way? You know, I, I mean, I certainly know I have the gift of great wisdom. Well, wisdom, words of wisdom is a spiritual gift. I mean, I, I've had people say to me, they, that's their gift, they're wise. I don't know what to do with that. What do you do with that? But, but what I'm saying, Kim, is does it matter that we can put a name on it? Doesn't it? Isn't it more important to know that God would use you and that he would use me to establish and strengthen other people? That he would build his church using us? I mean, isn't that more important? Thank you. Who said yes? Maureen. Thank you, Maureen. <laughs> Someone in the two and nines. So, let's... Let's, let's just break it down then. The reason we have spiritual gifts is to strengthen other people and so strengthen the whole. So I already used the example, I think, of if you look someone in the eye. I don't want to miss these examples because I typed them all out, so I don't want to miss them. No. If you look someone in the eye and, and you see sorrow deep, deep within and you put your arms around them and you tell them how much God loves them, do you think you might have discovered the gift of compassion or empathy. If you speak the truth in love to someone and they recognize the deception that they're in and the sin that they haven't been able to see or get disentangled from and they turn from that sin and ask you to help them to maintain that situation. Do you think you might have discovered the gift of encouragement? or exaltation. If you recognize a need or you hear about someone who needs something practical and you give willingly, Mike, and you give willingly, do you think you might have discovered that you have the gift of giving? If you see spiritual deception in your church or if you see something in someone else and you, something in you, your spirit, just leaps at that and you notice something and you think, I don't know what that is but I'm not sure about it and I'm going to speak to someone else and we're going to pray about that in my church because I want my church, I want my fellowship to be strong and I don't want anything from the outside coming in. Do you think you might have come across the gift of spiritual discernment or the discerning of spirits? If you offer someone a room, no, Mike, if you offer someone a room or a roof over their head because they lost their job or you invited them to dinner because they were new at your fellowship and they didn't know anyone or you just, you just looked at them and thought, they're lonely, they, don't, they need friends, they're new, whatever, if you looked at that and you saw that, do you think you might have the gift of hospitality or showing mercy? And did it matter that you knew that before you came in? Did it really matter? If you cared enough for someone to pray for them, to know that they were sick, to know that they were struggling, to know that they were afraid, to know that they didn't know about healing and they didn't know whether to pray or not, and you, you just loved them enough to come to them and say, I don't know what God's going to do, but I know who God is. Let's pray for healing. And that person gets healed. Do you think you might have had the Spirit work through you, a gift of healing? And did it matter whether you knew or not beforehand? What matters, what really, really, really matters beyond anything else is that you know God, that you know he is compassionate and merciful and giving, that he loves, that he heals, that he is a miraculous supernatural God, that nothing is impossible for him. That's what matters. And that's what I need you to tell me and pray with me about and be to me. I need you to be a representative of Christ who knows Christ and knows that the God who saved me is the God who will continue to save me, that nothing in my life can come against me. 
except that it comes through his hands, that there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that can attack me that he does not know about and has not already provided the victory in. Nothing. I need that from you, and you need that from me. I need you to listen to me when I'm talking sometimes and to pray. Lord, I think she's off on the wrong track here a little bit. So if you all pray at the same time, I think God might turn me around. So I need you to do that. I want you to do that. I want you to love me enough to care about my life and to care about how strong I am and how much I know God. That's what I need from you. And that's what we need from each other. I need you not to be bothered about naming your gift. I need you to be bothered about naming your God. That's all. We get so hung up on the gifts. And actually, I don't think that not knowing the gifts, the specific gifts, is the problem. I actually think the problem is that as a body, we don't care enough about each other because we're so consumed with ourselves with all the issues we have and the problems we have and how if you knew my life you wouldn't expect me to be praying with you or giving or doing any of that stuff because you would know that I just don't have the time to do that we are so consumed with ourselves that we just don't care enough about others and honestly We serve a God. We belong to a God who cares beyond anything we can imagine, who loves with an overwhelming love. We'll never get to the bottom of it. Paul will write in Ephesians 3 that, oh, that they would understand the length and the breadth and the depth and the height and to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. That's what he wants us to understand that he chooses what he does through whomever he wants and he brings whatever result he wants and all he wants from us is to care enough about him and about others that we say, have your way. Have your way. So when I see that you're sick, I don't have to ask, Lord, do I have the gift of healing? Well, nobody has the gift of healing. It's gifts, plural, of healing. So only God has the gift of healing. But shall I... Natalie. (laughs) Shall I pray for now? I don't have to ask. Shall I pray for her? Will she get healed? Won't she get healed? I love her. I want her to be healed. I want her to be healed. And I know that God wants her healing more than I want her healing. It's just that he can see other stuff in her that I can't see. So I come to him and I lift Natalie up and I don't say anything specific necessarily. I just say, here she is and here I am with her. And when she can't pray, I'm going to pray for her. And when I can't pray, she's going to pray for me. And we're both going to come and stand before your throne of grace because we know that's where we find help in our time of need. Will you do that for me? Will you do that for the people you came in with? Will you do that in fellowship? Hello, you've got a sandwich for someone? Ah, they're going to shut at 12. Get your sandwich or you'll be hungry. Thank you very much. Thank you. Is my sandwich still there? (laughs) Did you get mine, Rosie? Ah, okay, okay, okay. (laughs) These sandwiches, they have been important today. Okay. Paul says this in, in his opening introduction in Romans. His, his best, probably for me, the, the most, I mean, they call it the constitution of Christianity. I don't call it that. I just copy someone who's called it that. The constitution of Christianity. If you want to know what it is to be a Christian, read Romans. And in that letter, in that glorious, glorious letter, he begins by saying, I mean, he's the man who's been taken up to the third heaven. He's seen things too too wonderful to talk about. And he will write, I want to come to you and share my spiritual gift with you and have you share your spiritual gifts for me so that we both are strengthened and established. If he writes that, 
What do you think we're supposed to know from that? Can we go to Romans 12, Romans chapter 12? You see, honestly, to the extent that we know God, we will stop thinking about ourselves and start thinking about him and the fact that he is no respecter of persons, that God uses everybody, that if he can't find a person, he'll raise up a stone, he'll do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, through whatever, whoever he wants. And when you can accept and understand that even though it's not about you, God individually loves you. Ruth, I'm looking at you. I don't know why, because your face is right there. God loves Ruth. He loves Ruth. He loves her with a love that she will never be able to fathom until she gets to see him, and even then I don't think we will. He loves her in the truest sense of that word. He loves her and wants the best for her and he will never stop working for her best. He will cause everything else around her to work for her good because he is that sort of God. Now, on the basis of that, will you just leave yourself to him and go out and say to him, Lord, take everything that I am and all that I have and keep reminding me, reminding me, reminding me of who I am in Christ Jesus. And then will you use me for your glory and for the building up of the body of Christ? Will you do it? Will you do it today if you've never done it before? Romans chapter 12. Doesn't Paul say this, the same thing? Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Um, Paul begins this with do you know something about God? And if you get to chapter 11 of Romans, you know something about God. And if you have believed all of that, will you present your body to him? Will you present yourself to him as your reasonable service of worship? Will you live a life of worship? Will you sing in your heart? Will you speak praise to God? Will you live in the way that he wants you to live? Will you love with his love? Will you care with his care? Will you do it because you know what he has done for you and what he will continue to do? Will you do that? Present your body a living sacrifice. And he will go on then. See, I use those verses, those first two verses, I use such a lot. But the next verses, I tend not to use quite so much. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same functions, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly." if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, or he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Can you see what he's doing? He's saying, first, present your body to God. See, we separate these verses. Like those first two verses, they make a really nice call to be conformed not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But he's linked them to spiritual gifts. He's linked them. God, through Paul, has linked worship, a being a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service of worship, he's linked to the uh, actual expressing of the spiritual gift or the, uh, the way that the spirit will work within you. So what does that mean, do you think? Well, it's hard to know, isn't it? Because it means such a lot. So, <laughs> but why has yes? Thank you, Anne. What did you say? 
Exactly. God wants you first to present your body a living sacrifice based on who he is. He wants you to come to him and surrender to him. And then, as he works through you, he wants you to not think about yourself more highly than you ought. And then to let, if you're, and then he says, in your giving, with liberality. He's assuming you're going to give. And so he's saying, you, you need to do it cheerfully and liberally. If, if, if the Holy Spirit teaches through you, you need to do it well. If he prophesies through you, you need to do it according to the measure of faith. And actually, I don't think he means your faith, because the word his isn't in the original language. I think what he means is in proportion or in accordance with the faith that was once for all handed down to the saints. That's Jude, verse 3. So there is a faith, there is a complete uh, substance which is called the faith, and it was handed down to the saints, and it has been handed down and handed down and handed down, and it is found in the pages of this book. So he's, what he's saying is, if you're going to prophesy, make sure you prophesy according to the faith that has been handed down. You can't come up with any new thing. You know, there's nothing new. Honestly, if someone stands up and says, I've had a new word from the Lord, you know, yes, ring a bell. You know, there is no new word from the Lord. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, in the last days, in many portions and in many ways, God spoke to us through the prophets, and, uh, but in these last days, he has spoken to us in his Son. There is no other new revelation from God. There is none. You might have a specific word about your specific situation, but that will always be based on the scripture and you will be able to find substance to it or the basis of it in what he has already revealed. Hebrews 1, verse 1. Um, so, you have been... Uh, given the grace of God in that the Spirit lives within you and he will work through you and in whatever way he works you are to do it with the fullness of your being. So if you give, you're supposed to give generously. If you do anything, you're supposed to do it as if you're doing it to God. Knowing what? If you give and you give liberally, why would you give liberally? Yeah. Why would you give away your last five pounds? Yes, because it's all God's anyway, and? Because God will provide. Because God has pro promised to provide. Now, I, I mean, that's an extreme. I'm not saying, okay, empty out your bank balance and take all your money and throw it over the bridge. I don't mean that. But what I mean is if you're in a situation and you know you've got five pounds in your pocket and actually you've got no more money until payday and the man on the street corner starts talking to you and, and suddenly, in a way that doesn't normally happen, you start talking back and you start telling him about the Lord Jesus. And, you, and that doesn't... This has happened to me recently. I didn't give him the five because I didn't have any money, but... Um, I started talking to him about Jesus, and I don't usually talk to homeless men on street corners. I don't. I don't know, but I don't. And so he started talking to me, and I started talking to him. Now, if I had been brought... I knew God was at work in that conversation. I knew it. I don't know how, because I wasn't super spiritual, and I didn't give it, quote him scriptures. But I knew that God was there, and that he was at work. And if I had had five pounds in my pocket, and if it had been my last five pounds, I think God would have enabled me to give him that five pounds. And I think I would have done it liberally, generously. Because I, God was at work and I knew it. Whatever you do, if God is doing it, it's just overflowing. Have you had that experience? I don't know, Peter, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I know. And it was odd because I was on my own and I, I was in a place that, you know, I'm not normally. And it, it, it was just odd. The whole thing was odd. And he caught my eye and we started talking. Do you really mean odd? Huh? Do you really mean odd? 
I mean odd. Odd. I do. And I, and I agree, I agree, I, I totally agree with that, Sue. But what was odd was that it was me, because <laughs> he doesn't usually do that in that way. No, 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 I, I don't mean why would he use me, because of course he would use me, look at me, I'm great. So, no, but I mean, what I mean is he doesn't normally do that, and I don't normally do that, so it was out of my normal experience, that's what I mean, that's why I think it was slightly odd. But I'm also preparing this day, so it's like, okay, there's a connection, there's some connection. And, uh, and I totally trust God. So if, he, if I'm in this conversation, I mean, the man ran after me up the street, so I had to trust God because <laughs> he was following me. So, so all I'm saying is God uses us in many different ways. And if God had asked me to give him whatever money I had, if I'd had money, I would have given it to him because I knew that God was at work. I knew he was at work. But how did I know he was at work? Because I know God already. I know God already. And because I've I don't know him fully, but I know him already. And I've asked him to use me for his glory. So I'm now expecting him to use me for his glory. Um, okay, so um, what's the aim of spiritual gifts? You tell me. Strengthen, strengthen the body of Christ and... And glorify God, i.e. reveal him to the world, make him known. Okay, so that's the reason for spiritual gifts. So, the world you live in, um, are, are your spiritual gifts for use outside into the world? Are they? Of course, of course. So we're going to live Christ in front of them, so we are going to. But actually the Bible tells us that spiritual gifts are for use within the body of Christ. They are for the strengthening and the establishing of the body of Christ, the church. Now, take that. Know that Jesus came and died for the whole world. He loves the world. God loves, so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son. So if that's true, that the spiritual gifts are talked about in Scripture as being for use in the church, for strengthening and establishing, what do you know, if God so loves the world, what do you know will be a result of the strengthening and establishing of the church? Yeah, it will spread out. Because what could be more attractive than a whole group of people who love each other and care about each other and who don't seem to get knocked over all the time when they get sick or something happens, or that they can still stand and still, talk and still love God and still love each other. Can you think of anything more attractive in the times we live in than a group of people that are like that? No. How amazing. God has strengthened and established the church, and through that, he is drawing people to Christ. So, so... Your gifts of giving and encouragement and teaching and uh, all of that, they are ostensibly for use within the body of Christ. But they will have effect outside. What do you think might be something that the church has got slightly out of kilter? Or, or the converse? Well, actually, the, for the, with the best intention and the best motive, we want to give all our money away over there. We want to give to this mission and that mission and that thing and that thing, and we want to send money to Africa and build wells in Ethiopia, and we want to do all those things, and none of those are bad. But the plain fact is we have church fellowships in this country that are struggling. We have people who can't pay their mortgages, who are believers, and they don't know where to go. Because what we do is say, well, I'll talk to my church. I'll talk to my church leaders, and they'll help. And God's saying, but you're the church. <laughs> you're the church. Christians against poverty. Yeah, None, don't get me wrong, I'm not knocking any of these things. They are all good. But if you have a weak church, 
none of those things will correctly represent God. And if the whole purpose of our life on the planet is to correctly represent God so that other people come to him, then we are defeating ourselves at the outset. I know lots of lovely Christians who work with Christians Against Poverty. I think it is an amazingly wonderful program. I do. And I would support it. I do support it. But I don't think that it takes the place of us building healthy, strong families, fellowships that are moving with one another, who are sharing our spiritual gifts so that we can strengthen and encourage one another. Because all of us then go from our fellowship out into the world. We go to our job or we go to our family or we go to our friends down the road or our neighbours. And because we are strengthened and established and built up, we have a voice and something to say to the people we live with and work with. Why do you want gifts of the Spirit? Why do you want gifts of the Spirit? Seriously, why do you want gifts of the Spirit? Why do you want to know what your gifts are and why do you want them? Right? That's a wonderful answer, Maureen, because that's exactly the answer in the book. So, to glorify God and strengthen each other. Yeah, so now bring it back to, bring it back to why do you personally want a spiritual gift? Maureen, you do, because that's who you are, but, so don't say anything now. But, Right. 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 Yes, yes. I think some people do for that reason. They want to be solid and helpful in the church. But Hey, yes, yeah. And all of those, you're all going to be sorry you spoke now because I'm going to say to you, actually, that all of those are not written about in Scripture. Actually, the more that you give over to God, over yourself, the more he will use you. The more he will be able to manifest himself through you. And the less you will be thinking about yourself in any which way, high, low, or anywhere in between. The more you think about God, the more you focus on him, the more you give to him, the more you surrender to him, the more you decide to live for him, the less you will be thinking about yourself, living for yourself, worrying about this or that. That's just the, that's just the truth. That's what happens. That's why all over scripture it says, if, 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 you, if you believe in Christ, set your minds on things above. Set your minds on things above. Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are kind, think on these things. Set your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Everywhere you look in scripture, it says, look at God, look at God, look at God. It never says, look at me. So the whole thing is, you want God to work through you and he wants to work through you and he will manifest himself through you and you know people in this room who God works mightily through. I know people here who almost every time they talk to someone, the other person believes in Jesus. <laughs> it's like, how does that happen? I know people here who grasp difficult concepts in the word and who can explain them to other people. That's God. You know people here who would, who would give you their last shilling. That's God. But those people haven't gone out trying to get that gift. They've just tried to get hold of God. They've looked, turned their eyes on Jesus, and he has filled them up and uses them for his glory. We're going to talk a little bit. Uh, this afternoon about that filling up. But just before we go there, I want to carry on a bit in Romans 12, verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honour, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. This is the outworking of a person who has decided 
to present their body a living sacrifice. This is what will necessarily happen. And what he's saying is, when you love, let it be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. This is what will happen as you give over more and more of yourself to God. So, when you give over yourself to God, who's the benefactor? Who benefits from that? I do. You give yourself to the Lord, I benefit. You present your body a living sacrifice, I benefit. And Iola, who's looking at me at the back now, caught her eye, she benefits too. We benefit when you present your body a living sacrifice. The church benefits. Yes. 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 Um... Yeah, verse 11. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. That is a description of divine love. It's a description of the love of God through a believer. So what are you going to concentrate on when you want to know your gifts or when you want to find and be moving in your gifts? Actually, not know your gifts, because I think probably everyone here, by now anyway, doesn't want to know their gifts in case, but they want to, they want to be used by God. <laughs> so let's say we all want to be used by God. What are you going to concentrate on? What's the thing now that if you, if you go home at lunchtime, and I will take names. <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. If you... If you um, if you want to be used by God and you know that he wants to use you, what are you going to do? What's the thing that you think God wants you to do? Mm. Give yourself to him. Read his word, wait on him. Give yourself to him. You must give yourself to the Lord. And then you have to remind yourself every day that you have. You must present your body a living sacrifice and that's something... No, it isn't the fire. It's them locking up the door. You have to present your body a living sacrifice and then you have to trust that God will do what he has promised to do through you. And he will do it. He will do it. This afternoon we're going to talk a little bit more about the actual outcomes of that presenting your body and um, yeah but just before we stop just before I pray have you surrendered your body to the Lord honestly don't nod or shake your heads just ask quietly in your mind have you presented your body a living sacrifice because it's a living sacrifice so it means you've got to carry on. You're going to carry on. And every day is a sacrifice. And what, was, what do you think God wants of you? Yes. Yes, all those things, all good, all good. What he wants is for you to make him God. And you be not God. You be not God and him be God. You are presenting yourself to him as your reasonable service of worship. What you're saying is, this God is worth my worship. Worship means worth-ship. What is God worth to you? He's worth everything I have. So if you haven't come to that, if you have not presented your body a living sacrifice, then there are only two reasons why not. One is you don't know who God is properly yet. So the advice would be pray and read the word and get together with people who love God and fellowship with them and, and just, just put yourself in an environment of God. Put yourself in his word, pray, spend time with him, spend time with people who love God and they will talk to you and you will start to learn more about God. And when you learn more about God, he'll be so fantastic, you won't be able to wait 
to present your body a living sacrifice. And the second reason is, you're not really interested. Either you don't know enough yet, or you really are not interested in presenting yourself. And actually you think, you know what, I'm doing okay. I've got my ticket in my back pocket. I'm going in when I get there. I shall give the gatekeeper the ticket. I believed in Jesus and I'm coming in. Only those two things are possible. You either don't know him enough yet or you don't want to. And if you don't want to, beware. Don't tell me a third way. It's not in my notes. <laughs> What's the third way? Illness. Oh, illness. No, no, no. No. You have presented your body a living sacrifice. You have. Your illness hasn't stopped you. How many years have I known you? <laughs> I've known you years, 11 years, and you have witnessed to God in my presence all that time. You have presented your body a living sacrifice. You have. And God will honour you because you have honoured him. And it makes me cry, so I'm going to stop now. Father, Father, I don't know where we all are, but you do. You know where we each one are. You know where we've come to. You know whether we have presented ourselves to you as a, as a living sacrifice, whether we are really wanting to live for your glory. And, and Lord, you know that about us. You do. And we are completely unveiled in your presence. You know everything. So, Lord, I pray for myself and I pray for everyone here that we will be about knowing you better, that we will use everything that you've given us to, to come to a greater understanding of who you are so that we can come into that place of complete and utter surrender to you. And I do pray, Lord God, that over our lunch conversation and as we go into this afternoon, that you would just cement that thought in us, that desire in us, and that you would help to draw us closer to you, Lord. You would draw us closer and that we, each other, would help each other to come close to. So, Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that you will take these words and you will use them in our lives. And I praise you, Lord, and ask you to bless our conversation now and um, bless the food that we're going to eat and this building that we're going to eat in it and bring us back revived and refreshed this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay.